This is DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. So what's up, podcast? I have Lindsay Persico on today. How are you? Good. So I wanted to uh, get this thing kicked off and basically uh, get your backstory. You were just featured on a show called Alone the Beast on the History Channel. And um, for those of you watching or listening, um, you can watch the show on um, Amazon Prime. I don't know. We're... we're or other places they can watch this set, do you know? You know, I'm not sure right now. It was live, it was still on the History Channel website if you looked up Alone the Beast not that long ago. You could still watch episode one and two. Mine's episode one. Um, <laughs> but I think they took that off recently. They may be gonna re air it. There's a lot of questions around that right now. It's being aired in other countries okay. at times, so. Gotcha. Well, so, um, <laughs> It's crazy because I found your uh, show. I was actually digging through some of Joe Rogan's content and I found your show. And so I was like, let me check this out. And what's your, so what's your background? Because on the show, basically this is a survival series and um, they drop you guys out in the um, Canadian Arctic basically and give you an animal and no utensils, no tools, no guns, no knives. And um, just say, here you go, live here for 30 days and make it. What um what was that experience like first, and what did you have to do to prepare for that? Like, did, is that something you grew up knowing how to do these things, or did you have to do a little bit of preparation knowing you're going to be out there and, you know, get into it? <laughs> well, I, I'm not somebody that is known for my survival skills. No, that's not, that's not my background. Um, the Alone the Beast show is a spinoff of the original Alone show. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the folks that do those shows are bushcrafters or survivalists, and that's kind of their specialty. My specialty was the hunting background. So they told us they wanted, this was a group show. Instead of being alone, they sent you right. out as a group of three people. And each person was supposed to kind of have their own specialty. And mine was the butchering, the hunting aspect of it, because that's what I grew up doing. And that's what I, I knew really well. So when I found out I was going to be doing this show, I thought I should touch up on some of the actual survival aspects of it, like starting a fire with just the elements in the, in nature and yeah. napping, you know, a, a rock into something that you can cut with those types of things. Cause that's, not my skill set, no. <laughs> not my specialty. Butchering, I can do. Aside from that, it was kind of new territory. Well, I don't want to give too much on, uh, um, give too much away about the show, but um, I did notice a lot of like ancient techniques you guys were using, um, like being able to keep that ember alive in the fire, so you could transport it away from camp into another location. How did you, is that something you knew how to do or did you study up on these things or like that was crazy to me. I had no idea about that technique. All of that kind of stuff, it was new territory for me. I, I had to study um, the kind of plants that I was going to be encountering when I went up there. Any kind of situation I could possibly think I might encounter in my head, um, I tried to study up on. I had a couple months before I had to leave. So I scrounged up some really good books. I did a lot of reading. <laughs> I did a lot of uh, searching online. Um, but for me as a hunter, I do a lot of solo hunting here in Montana and you never know what might happen when you're out in the woods. You could get injured, you could get lost. Um, there's quite a few things that can happen. So we try to plan ahead here 
just for hunting purposes. I, I do have quite a few skills when it comes to spending a night or a few nights out in the woods alone, even injured. Um, so there's some things that I had already practiced. I knew how to start. I knew the basics of starting a fire. I, and what I had to learn was how to do it with like a bow drill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand how to start a fire. I understand how to preserve meat. I just had never done it in such a primitive way before. Yeah, really, I really, I respected that for you guys. And I, I don't, I really don't want to give too much away, but I'm just going to tell you, she's the only one that made it the 30 days and she was with two other males. So <laughs> two other guys. And um, that was, that was really interesting. And I respect you for that as well, because I was like, whoa, you know, this dude's giving up already and this other guy's not going to make it. And you're stuck out there for the rest of the time by yourself, um, you know, having to make it. And I mean, what was that experience like? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't what I expected to happen at all. Um, going into the show, I could tell, we didn't know each other. The, the people that get put out together don't know each other beforehand. So it's, you kind of wonder who you're going to end up out there with. But yeah. I could tell these guys were knowledgeable guys. These, are, these were good guys. They knew what they were doing. They had a good skill set. And I never anticipated them leaving. I figured they'd be around. But to be honest... I didn't totally mind it. Okay. <laughs> um, like I said, I, I go out and hunt by myself a lot in the woods. I like being out there by myself. I don't have a problem being out there alone. Um, to me, I don't know. There's something about going out in nature and just spending time by myself that I, I find attractive and appealing. So it didn't bother me that they left, but it wasn't something I saw happening. It wasn't a scenario that I had played out in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't very prepared for it that way, but. It turned out okay. I, I'm glad I got to experience it from both perspectives, with a team and without a team, because it was it was completely different, two different, yeah. complete, completely different scenarios. And I don't know, there was there was benefits to both. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I really, I was surprised too. I couldn't believe that that happened and um, that you were able to still make it through and you know get everything done to the end. So um, let's go back. Okay, where are you at? Where are you from? How old are you and how did you get into hunting, fishing, you know, the stuff, the stuff you love to do? Was that something you've always done your whole life or was it something you um, took on later in life? Well, I was born and raised in Idaho and I live in Montana now. Uh, I'm 33 and I've been hunting, started, started hunting with my dad from a very young age, probably been in the woods following him, following him around since I, I don't know, maybe seven years old, <laughs> just a little kid. Um, and he's the one who really gave me my love for the outdoors. He took his time to show me what was out there, to show me a wonder of what is out there. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of like you go out in the woods and you never know what you might encounter. Every trip is different. Every time you go, it's an adventure. And he made it fun. He made it fun for me as a kid, but not just as a kid, as his daughter, which was kind of a rare thing. Even back when I was a little kid, a lot of times dads would take their sons hunting, but not every dad would take his daughter hunting. And right. so I really appreciate that about my dad. I know that that was a blessing that I was able to go and have those experiences. And it did build just a love for the outdoors and for hunting and for adventure in me. That's where I attribute that to. Um, and 
I don't know, for some reason it's just grown. <laughs> it hasn't been something that's waned off. As the older I get, the more passionate about it I am and the less um, I can be away from the outdoors without missing it and having to get back out there. It's something that I'm always trying to find a way to do more of. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. So, I mean, down here where we're at, I'm in North Louisiana, and basically we don't have the the terrain or the, the setup for hunting like that. It's more we set a plot for whitetail, we build a stand, <laughs> we hunt it, and um, there's not a lot of stalking. There's not a lot of um, – I've always found that interesting. I always wanted to go elk hunting and do the whole, you know, stalk through the mountains and, you know – see what you know camp for a few nights or whatever so it's just awesome to be able to see people that you know are able to do that and that's something you're growing up doing so that's pretty cool to me so what um how many types of animals have you harvested you know that are basically things you hunt for on a regular um i'd say every year we hunt for white tails yeah. um we we here in Montana it's a little bit different in every state but here in Montana some animals you have to put in for a drawing and it's a special item like you you may only draw it once in your life you might right. draw it a couple times um, but every year we put in for drawings for moose um, mountain goat bighorn sheep bison and then we hunt for elk and deer I always have a bear tag, a cougar tag, a wolf tag, and then we also put in for antelope every year. So sometimes we get, those are more often you get drawn probably every couple years or every other year, usually we get to go out and hunt for antelope. Uh, and then we may, we actually might this year head up to Alaska and hunt caribou, which would be That's a huge bucket list item for me. So that would awesome, be pretty cool. Yeah. Trying to make that happen. Well, so what's it like? Um, what about uh, fishing? Do you do, do you do any fishing? To, and, you know, and if you do that, what, what type of fishing do you do up there? I have done a lot of fishing in the past. I don't as much anymore. My husband is a big fisherman, especially lately. He's really gotten into fishing. Um, we have so much good fishing here in Montana. You can hunt for, or you can fish for pike and walleye and the big lake trout up on Flathead Lake. He likes to go up and fish for them and perch and crappie. And yeah, there's, plenty of opportunities around, but I find myself looking at a weekend where I could go fishing and there's almost always something here in Montana that I could be hunting instead. Yes. <laughs> and I, it's, I have a hard time leaving the woods to go out on the water. Um, but yeah, he's big into the fishing. No, I agree. I think um, it, 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 similar to you as a child, as I grew up with my grandfather and my dad, um, you know, I was hunting in the woods probably starting around five or six years old. And then kind of by the time I got into high school, I kind of didn't care about it as much because, you know, you're chasing girls, you're doing, high school <laughs> things, you know, doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing. And um, I kind of lost feel for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of itch to get it back. But, I, you know, I, I did it a little bit on and off over the past 10 years, um, but I, I feel like I got bored with it and I really just want to do more things, you know, more than just sit in the stand and hunt whitetail, you know, or, you know, we, ha we do have, you know, greenhead mallards here. We hunt for, you know, duck here. But other than that, there's not a lot, you know. So um, getting out there and actually doing the actual, I call that real hunting, like where you got <laughs> stalking your, your actual, what you're hunting for. Whether, well, what about, so you said wolf. It's interesting because I actually um, used to raise wolf hybrids. Um, I have two as pets. Um, I love them. I have some kind of connection to wolves. I love them. But hunting an actual wolf in the wild, how big do they get up there? Um... I can't give you like the 
probably the correct answer for that, but I know that they get large. The, uh, the further north you go, the bigger they get. So they're not as big here as you're going to see way up in Canada or something. But we do have some pretty big wolves in this area. I have not taken a wolf. Um, no, I have been hunting them for a few years, but it's a winter. I, I always save my predator hunting for after big game season is over because... For us, the big game is the biggest priority. We feed our family off of it. So filling okay. our freezers is the top priority for us. And then after big game season is over, it's winter. And predator season goes through the winter for wolves and, and cougars. And then bear is late in the fall and then early spring. So it's generally in the wintertime when I'm hunting for wolves. And here we get so much snow, it's really difficult to get around. If you're not using a snowmobile, your chances of taking a wolf are much reduced but for me it's an opportunity to get out to hike to snowshoe get really good exercise i love seeing what i what i might run into when i'm out there looking and the whole part of hunting them is just as important to me as as for whenever i finally connect with one i know i will i've had one i've been out hunting them hiked for a long ways was coming back at the end of my hunt and there were tracks, wolf tracks in my tracks where they had been following <laughs> me. They're there, they're smart. Yeah. They're not dumb animals. So yeah. um, it's just a part of the chase is what is so fascinating to me. And I love all of that part of it. And every time I go, I learn something new. So it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I think um, my hybrids, they get to about 100 pounds, but I feel like up there, you guys, those wolves are probably, you know, upwards of 150 or bigger. And I know. I, I think they've said the big males are around 180, but I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, see, that's I massive. <laughs> I want to throw a number out there and be off, right. and I, I can't say that that's 100% accurate, but that number right. is ringing a bell in my head. <laughs> well, so, so, and you, you're married and you have kids. How many kids do you have? I have three. Okay, and uh, boys, girls, ages? I have two daughters, a 12 and 11, and then okay. a son who's five. He'll be six on Friday. And do they all enjoy doing, you know, going out hunting, you know, doing the stuff outdoors? Or is there one that is their favorite and there's maybe one that doesn't like to do it? How's that? I thought it was going to be that way. Uh, my older daughter was always had always showed more interest in it than my younger daughter had. And um, she's already taken multiple deer bucks, a gigantic elk last year she took. Um, then my younger daughter got into it also, and she actually harvested her first buck last year. And my son can't wait till he's old enough. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be infectious for the whole family. <laughs> well, that's good. That's awesome to hear. So do you think... Um, what are you guys, what are your plans? So being on the show, do you have other opportunities coming up to do other things like this? Or, you know, what, what do you, what are your plans? I know you have like a, you have a YouTube channel. Do you want to share that? What is that? Um, I have a YouTube channel. I, I started a long time ago when I first had my son, I've always had a love for writing. And so I had to sit around a lot. I had this baby, couldn't go do a lot. Yeah. So I started um, a blog, a website where I just shared hunting stories and wild game recipes and pretty much whatever's on my mind. It's kind of like a, a diary. And in order to get that out, you kind of had to have social media channels. So that's yeah. why I started up my social media was just to share the stories and connect with other hunters and other like-minded people. And out of that grew the YouTube channel because 
people were curious about what we do. There's a lot of people that I have who follow me who ask about what it's like living in a place like this where we get to do these things that a lot of other people in the country don't have the opportunity to do all the time. And so I started the YouTube channel just basically to kind of share what we're doing. That way some people can follow along. People seem to find it interesting and, and I like being able to share that. Well, so what's the name of your YouTube channel? It's just Hunt Fiber. Everything on on social media, my website um, is all Hunt Fiber. Okay. I started okay. that because people ask me what what's with that name. Yeah, what's <laughs> the story behind that, that? I always said that it was because hunting feels like it's um, at the core of who I am. It's in my fibers that make up the being that I am from our ancestry of hunters. It's been passed down and it's just a part of who I am and I can't escape it. So why might as well share it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, whenever, um, so did, how did they, did they find you for the show to fit, you know, your, your role in the show from, you know, social media or how, how did you get that role? I believe so. It wasn't something that I was pursuing. I'm not, I'm not, it's funny because I'm on social media a lot and I do things like this, but I'm really not great in public, in the public eye. <laughs> like I don't like being in front of other people. Yeah. So I wasn't seeking that out. That wasn't something in my mind. I'm like, oh, I want to go be on a reality TV show. <laughs> Definitely not. But um, when I was presented with the opportunity, I thought this is something that doesn't come along every day and I had a feeling I would regret it if I didn't go do it and I wanted the I wanted the adventure and I wanted the experience and it was not fun but it's something I'm glad I did so what I mean I I agree I think you know going out of your comfort zone and actually doing it you know just for the experience so what what kind of feedback have you gotten since you know you're on the show and people watched it and the result of you making it through the whole time um I feel like you, you know, a lot of women may be looking to you for inspiration. How does that work? I have gotten an overwhelmingly positive amount of feedback from it. And everybody has been super supportive. And they have said a lot of things that made me feel like um, it was kind of an opportunity to showcase what a woman could do if she really set her mind to it. And I hadn't really looked at it as an opportunity to do that going into it, that was kind of just something that came out of it. I guess because I ended up being up there alone, it really pushed the narrative in that direction. And I hadn't foreseen that coming, but even before I did the show, I've always tried to show through my hunting by myself, through some of the things that I do that it's okay to be bold and go out and do those things and explore and have fun. And you don't have to, wait around for somebody to take you just go go explore go have that adventure and I I think that I think it's meant a lot more to me than I thought it would seeing seeing someone would be like hey because of you I went out and did this or yeah I wasn't afraid and I went and had this experience and I love that yeah because I'm um, seeing that and I you know I was I was hoping that you would say that because I feel like hell I don't even think I can do that. You know what I mean? Like I don't have, I don't have all those survival skill sets to know how to do certain things. I mean, I thought it was um, going back to the show a little bit. I thought it was very interesting that um, you guys took the, you know, doing things like this just is amazing to me. Like taking the the moose hide and then putting water in it and preserving it and transporting it that way. And um, I mean, you made a weapon (laughs) and ended up killing a growl. That was cool. You know, Um, stuff like that. Um, Were you, so 
going to that part. So like when, when the show's called alone and I, you know, I don't know how you guys perceive this, but you know, everyone always wants to ask this question. What is it like? I know there was some camera crew there and then there, you said there was some self recording. How does that work? So, I mean, um, cause a lot of people say, Oh, well that's not real. And I guess the question is how real is it? Yeah, that's a great question actually. And that was one of the things going into it that I wasn't sure what to expect because I didn't know what it was going to be like. Um, and the original Alone show is primarily self-filmed. They don't have a camera crew. We had a combination of a camera crew and self-filming. So some of the time the camera crew would be there, some of the time they wouldn't, and we would have to film ourselves. And it was interesting. It was an interesting dynamic because in a lot of ways you're alone because yeah. you have to do everything yourself. You have to survive as if nobody's there, but there's still bodies there right. <laughs> at times. So it was a weird feeling. It wasn't, it wasn't like having people with you because they weren't a part of what was happening. Right. It was just kind of almost like you're in a fishbowl. <laughs> I mean, that makes there sense. Are, even, if, even if they are there filming, they're not the, you know, usually a film crew is not going to be the type of people that's going to be at, able to actually help you skin a moose and, you know, field right. dress it and cut quarters off of it and move, you know, and all that. So, I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, you know, I just, you always get that question, you know, with it being, you know, a series and, you know, being a reality show, it's like, hey, how real is this, you know? I would say, I would say for people, you know, it's incredibly real. There was nothing that I did that wasn't um, authentic. And right. just because somebody was filming it didn't change any of what was there. There was right. just like having an onlooker watching you do what you had to do. And, you know, I think the, the aspect of being alone has its own element of difficulty because there's a mental side to being alone. And some could say, you know, that having a camera person over there changes that. And in some ways it does, but in some ways it's also an added difficulty because there's, you can't communicate with this person. Right. <laughs> you know, there may be a frustration, there may be a question, there may be whatever, but you can't, this person's not a part of your world. They're just watching you. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's got its own difficulty to it. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it was, it was hard. It wasn't easy. It was a challenge, and I went into it knowing it was going to be a challenge. I did not go into it expecting it to be easy. I wasn't disappointed, but um, I look back at it as something I'm glad that I did. Well, so well, saying that, you're talking about being alone. Um, you know, everyone's been faced with having to the social distance and quarantine, you know, these past few months. And then you actually experienced that before everyone else went through it here lately, but you're doing it in the wilderness, um, you know, cause you're the people that were with you weren't there long and you ended up being there. So how did that affect you um, being there that long by yourself, not having any human interaction, um, surviving through all this and then coming back to your family? You know, the hardest part of this whole thing was being away from my family and my kids. Um, they're my life. They're like my number one thing in the world. And I knew that that was going to be the hardest part for me. Yeah. When I was there, your my brain went into this mode that I think must have been what 
people back in you know the days where this was normal life lived. It was a simple place for my mind to be. I was focused on basic human needs. I was focused on my fire, my firewood, my food supply, my shelter. They were simple things. I didn't have to think about what was going on in the politics of the world. I didn't have to think about, you know, my car insurance. I didn't have to think about there's all there's all this stuff that our brains have to keep organized and I didn't have any of that up there and my brain went to this super simple place and in some ways it was really nice. <laughs> I didn't realize how much it had affected my mind until I left till I was done with the with the show and I got pulled out and I got thrown into a hotel room to wait for a flight home. Then all of a sudden I realized because my brain switched back on. Yeah. It was like going from a couple centuries ago to <laughs> to now. And I did not sleep for three solid days. Really? Uh, I couldn't sleep and I wasn't even tired. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. My brain was on overdrive. I think I was just trying. I don't know what was going on, but there has been a big switch in my brain that had to adjust when I came back out. And I was so excited to see my kids. So excited. <laughs> it's the best reunion I've ever had. Yeah, that's, I figured, I mean, you have a, you have a newfound appreciation at that point because everything's stripped away from you. And you know what I mean? For that long of a time, I, I could only imagine. So you're also into, um, I, I noticed you're into, you know, health and fitness and um, you work out a lot and stuff like that. Um, do you think that it made a huge impact on, making it through this with you being in shape and being outdoors all the time and being able to, you know, navigate on a low carb diet, you know, with only meat, you know, things like that. I think it helped me a lot, actually. Um, My body obviously didn't have to adjust as much. It still was an adjustment switching to just meat. I'm not a carnivore um, person, but I don't think I had to adjust as much as a lot of people would because I do generally eat kind of a low carb diet that helped me. Um, And I'm used to being out in the cold. I'm used to from the hunting and stuff that I do and the hiking. The first week of being out there was extremely physical. Dealing with uh, butchering that entire animal with a rock. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. So that was insane because you guys, the rocks up there are brittle. They fall apart. They don't hold a sharp edge. Like, how in the hell were you able to keep, I mean, how many rocks did you, how the hell did you do that? I mean, how long did it take to get the skin off the moose? It took so long. (laughs) It was so difficult. Uh, We really hoped we would have some sort of a nappable stone up there, something that we could make into a blade. And there was not, there was shale and some other rock that was worse than the shale. So basically we would just take, take a shale piece and try to get a decent edge on it. And you'd go 15, maybe 20 hard cuts to get a quarter of an inch. It took, it took an entire daylight of day of daylight to finish 
just getting the moose skinned. And by the time I was done, my hands and my wrists hurt so bad. The next week, my wrist was swollen. It wouldn't work quite right. Everything was just a wreck from spending so much time doing that. It was so difficult to do. It was actually one of the things I feel the most accomplished about um, having completed up there. It felt like such an accomplishment when it was yeah. done. Honestly, when I've been telling people about the show, I'm like, that's the most impressive thing to me because you have found, you have a newfound appreciation for that skinning knife you know that you have in the, oh my at the house because it's uh that that was insane to me um taking a dull rock and actually you know and that hides a lot thicker than like a white tail you know or oh man you know, so I, mm -hmm. that is insane and then being able to you know you guys had to uh basically it was just you and, and the, the other fella that were able to uh you had to quarter everything transport the, i mean how much once you feel dressed a moose how much did that weigh I couldn't tell you, but it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Their quarters are huge. Um, and I'm so thankful that Zane was there for that part yeah. because getting those quarters, I could move the quarters myself, but the cache that he built was awesome. And it was yeah. up high and it would have been, it would have been so hard for me to get that quarter in that cache by myself. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was impressed with that and then the smoke setup you guys set up too. That was, I thought that was great because that you know, was I, awesome. That worked out so for... well. I really hated leaving that actually. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. didn't want to leave that. That's a, that for all my uh, barbecuing buddies, that's uh that, that's something impressive right there to see, you know, to uh, actually build something in the rocks and, you know, using the elements to build a smoke system and then having to survive on that meat the whole time was insane. And you would think you would get tired of it, but I, I missed moose a week after I was home. I wanted a steak again. It was so good. <laughs> I've never had it. Um, I've had elk. I love elk, but I hear moose is amazing too. I got to try that. It is. It's one of our favorites. My husband was lucky to draw a tag a couple years ago and he got a giant moose here in Montana and we ate on it for a couple years and it's gone now. And that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you said you guys, um, I mean, you technic so what do you guys do what does your husband do what do you do or is this you know are you just stay at home with the, the kids and and hunt or you know what's your what else do you do besides your writing or, or or if anything else and what does your husband do my husband is was it uh air force veteran he was eod okay. um and he came home went to college and now he works for the forest service and i mostly just stay home with my kiddos and then I do the online writing. I did online tr personal training for a while, but I haven't been doing that lately. I've been doing the writing and I'm recently going to be starting doing some speaking engagements. So that, that should that's, be fun. That's interesting. So um, what is that going to entail? What do you, what do you, what are your goals there? You know, <laughs> one of them is to just not freeze because people are looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just hoping to be able to kind of share an adventurous spirit with people, maybe encourage some people to step out and try something new that they've been a little bit intimidated to try. Um, like we said, encourage women to step outside of their comfort zones and do something that I think they'll fall in love with once they try it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just to spread that around and, and hopefully motivate a few people. Well, I mean, not only that, I mean, just to, you know, women or men seeing you do what you're doing or what you went through just on the show. I mean, that's motivating in any aspect. It makes that one little goal not seem that massive. You know what I mean? Right. I would well, say. And 
you know, it's funny. Life, life for me hasn't all been easy and roses. I went through some stuff that was pretty difficult for quite a while. And I, I attribute that to helping me make it through and do as well as I did on the show. And I feel like anytime that we have something that we struggle with in life, that's a hardship, that's difficult. It has the opportunity to make us stronger and make us ever better able to, to handle whatever comes our way in the future. And I think sharing that with people, not only is it some, is it a, a good thing for people to be able to look at it from that perspective, but I think that there's a ton of people out there. Everybody has something that they've gone through that was difficult yeah. and being able to look at it from a perspective of how can I take this and make myself stronger from it, it can only benefit people. I completely agree. It's so cliche to say, you know, to say all these things all the time. You hear people saying, I'm like, you know, you only appreciate things once you work for them, but it's, it's really the truth. And it's like the simple, smallest things you tell someone, just saying it doesn't work. You have to show them, you know, or, or share your experience. And then it makes, so a lot of times it makes it, you know, it just makes it more comfortable, you know, more comfortable to talk about, um, makes that climb a little less, you know, hectic. But I mean, I'm a firm believer in if you don't work for it, you're really not going to appreciate it. I mean, and it's so easy to see that, you know, with anyone, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's coming back from the show. The things that I did, like skinning the moose with the rock, the things that were really, really hard are what I look back on and appreciate the most about it. That, there was one thing that I didn't work for at all that I super appreciate, though. <laughs> and that was the getting to see the Northern Lights. That was one of the most impressive things I've ever experienced. It was absolutely worth the entire trip. It was so beautiful. I remember seeing a glimpse of them in the clips and yeah, that, I mean, that was amazing. Um, what would you have done because you had, um, what was it? Zane? Is that, what was that his name? So he was the one that, that made the fire. And, um, can you share that technique? Because, um, basically he used some moose hide and then a stick, I believe, or something. Yeah, so there's a few different methods that you can use to start a fire without having any kind of fire starter or cordage. Um, we were not allowed to bring anything with us to use as a tool. So even though we had our clothing, we couldn't use our shoelaces for making a bow drill fire. Right. You had to use some sort of natural cordage. So he chose to use the skin off the moose. It had hair on it, so we had to prep it. I mean... Basically, you're cutting a thin little strip of thick moose hide with a rock. <laughs> so that in itself took a long time. Yeah. We got him a little strip while we were working on the moose. He took that, went and dealt with getting all the hair off of it. Um, and then that's what he used for his cordage. And he had an amazing technique. I had never seen anybody do the, there's a bearing block that you hold usually in your hand. Mm -hmm. And then there's a spindle, a little piece of wood that comes down from that. And usually you hold that into a board and you use a bow to spin that piece of wood to get your heat. But he used the bearing block that he held in his mouth and wrapped the string or the, the hide around that little stick that came down and just moved it with his hands. It, it was less for him to have to build. He didn't have right. to build a bow. It was just a little bit simpler of a method and I'd never seen it before, but he was really good at it. I don't know if I could have done it that way. I probably would have had to do the bow. <laughs> but he, he worked on that for hours yeah. for so long. And um, even Joe, the other guy that was up there, he took turns and would go up and give him a break. And Zane would come down and start helping me with the moose. And he would try for a while. It took forever for him to get that. The 
the wood that grows in the Arctic grows different than anything that we have down here. Everything grows extremely slowly there. Right. We have a lot of the same plants here in Montana as, as we had up there, but the version of plants that are, is up there is so much smaller because everything doesn't, they don't have as much sunlight. It's colder. They just grow slower. And when you're creating fire with friction, you're relying on the soft wood in between the rings to create a dust and build your ember. And up there, the rings are so tight together that it's really, really difficult to get enough dust to yeah. build an ember. So it took a lot of work. Well, I mean, so I, I noticed when, uh, and it did, that was insane to me, um, to the, the perseverance to keep doing that, to try. I mean, you have to. You're not going to make it if you don't have a fire. And I, I remember you saying a few times on the episode that if it went out, you were going to be in a bind. So did, did you just not feel comfortable with your your knowledge of being able to restart it if it had went out? I just knew how hard it was. Yeah to get one there and I knew how long it took him and when it comes down to it he's more experienced with primitive fire building techniques than I am I I've done it but he's done it more than I have and right. I knew if it took him that long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could just imagine how long it was gonna take me <laughs> yeah, not to mention you were tired you already been there you know over a week well so um and I bring up the fire thing to, to bring up the uh, the bear element because at this point you're there by yourself and um, there's a bear constantly coming to your camp. What was that like? Because it's got to be totally different. Any of, you know, people out there like, like you or like people here like me that, you know, you hunt and you have a firearm with you or, or something, a knife or something, you feel safe. But being out there by yourself with only a fire and your shelter, and a bear coming up on your camp that's getting ready to hibernate. Um, what was that like? You know, <laughs> at first it was really entertaining because I don't know. I like I like bears. Yep. Bears don't bother me, especially black bears. They're they're funny creatures. Um, they kind of have like a personality to them. And this bear. This bear at first acted like I was used to bears acting. Um, I was used, I'm used to bears wanting food. Obviously a carcass is like a dinner bell for them. They're just excited about that. That's a, that's a resource. And like you said, he was getting ready to hibernate. So he was yeah. trying to eat as much as he could. So I, it wasn't surprising. He wasn't, he wasn't aggressive. He just wanted food. Right. And I thought that I could probably keep him entertained with the carcass, keep my, my caches up in a good place. And maybe we'd be able to work in the same area. Okay. Yeah. But the longer he was there and around me and realized I wasn't really a threat to him, the bolder and bolder he got. And I, and none of it bothered me until that night when I woke up and he was just laying on the other side of my fire. Like he was my dog. <laughs> And I thought, gee, you know, <laughs> if, if he's going to be this comfortable, he might as well just come in here and keep me warm. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was way too, too comfortable, too familiar, and obviously did not feel threatened by me as a human anymore. And that's where it gets a little bit dangerous, I think, with the potential for him feeling like my meat was now his and I was a threat to him. Yeah that could have ended in a bad altercation. So that's why I decided to leave when I did. He never did get, he ne we never got aggressive. He just got really comfortable, yeah. too comfortable. 
Yeah, I mean, you're running on, you have your food, and, you know, if he gets that, no matter if he's, you know, aggressive towards you, but if he gets your food, you're screwed too. I mean, you know. And he did. He came in and he ate a lot of my fat pile, which was really a bummer because that's what I needed up there to yeah. keep my losing too much weight you lose a lot of weight even though you have all this meat there you would think with a moose that you'd have enough food to where you could keep yourself from losing weight but it's not the case your body can only process so much protein every day and yeah. when you're cold and you're bought and you're working hard you can't eat enough to keep yourself from losing weight i was losing a, almost a pound a day so how much weight did you lose from day one to when you come back? Did you weigh yourself when you got back or was this kind of a I did. Guess? I had lost, I'd lost almost 25 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah. It was and you, I mean, you don't have, it doesn't look like you have that much weight to lose, you know, and be healthy. I, you know? I didn't have, I didn't have a ton of extra weight. No. Right. Uh, and a lot of it, it's weird. As soon as you eat some salt, you yeah. get quite a bit back. Cause a lot of that, you know, yeah. it, when you have no salt in your diet, your body <laughs> is not the same. Right. <laughs> so as soon as I got a little salt in my body, um, some of that came back, which was great. Um, but I had lost, I had lost a lot of weight and it did kind of screw a little bit mentally with me with food for a little of while. Course. It, was, of course. it was interesting coming back to eating. You had to be careful what yeah. you ate well, but yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting challenge. Well, that's, um, yeah, I mean, just, just doing that, you know, in itself, um, changing your, not only having to live in the elements, not only having to, um, you know, you know, clean the moose, you know, with a dull rock, um, you know, fight off bears all, you know, the whole time, but having to you have such a restricted diet and um, mentally it just messes with you, you know, um, in the past, you know, I used to fight mixed martial arts and cutting a lot of weight is mentally grueling that most fighters will tell you that that is the hardest part is the weight cut. And then, um, you know, it just makes you not want to do anything, you know, just mentally depletes you, it physically depletes you. And, um, you know, you definitely went through that. Not only that, but having, I mean, but you never, I guess you never had limited water source though. You had plenty of water the whole time or you didn't. I had plenty of water. Plenty I of, did. Okay. Yep. You could drink right out of the lake. It was good water. It was so good. Yeah, I noticed that. That's that's insane to me. That's crazy because, you know, around here, you know, it has to be moving and clear to drink. So what was that experience like? It was good. It, it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, the water was starting to freeze when I was there towards the end. And even at the beginning, it was so cold. So... And quite a bit of a, a hike to go get water. So I had to really think ahead every day and plan drink times where I would stop whatever I was working on and go drink. Because if I hadn't done that, I would easily become dehydrated. There was a day where I got dehydrated. I got a horrible headache the entire day. And I just had to pretty much spend that day getting myself rehydrated. And it was miserable. Um, but yeah, water was available I had to make sure I went and got it and when you're using your hand it's difficult to drink enough at because yeah. I had no cup I had nothing you know to drink out of but I ended up finding this little burl on the side of a stump that was kind of like a little I used it to feed Joe some tea yeah so yeah okay yeah I ended up using that to drink which was great because my hand didn't have to get wet my hand wasn't freezing then so that yeah. that saved me a lot I could sit there and drink water longer because 
my hand wasn't frozen. Right. <laughs> that was a big asset. Just a little thing like that can make a big difference. Well, so you mentioned um, Joe, and he was the one who he, he got sick on the show. So for you that you guys are watching or listening, basically you guys had to create a, uh, a remedy, like a tea out of, uh, what did you use for that? We used rose hips primarily, right. rose hips tea. Yeah. Is he that was, something, I've never heard of it. Is that something you already knew about or one of you guys knew about? Yeah, it's used as a natural remedy. It, okay. Rose hips are used as a you know way to get some a few minerals, vitamins, some nutrients you know that aren't available in the moose meat. Obviously, there was a few things around like that right at the beginning, um, and then most of that got covered by snow. Uh, it wasn't really available anymore, but we tried to use it while it was there. Yeah, and it, he ended up. I guess he was he was already sick at that point. I mean that didn't, that was probably a little too late for that to do much. It seemed like. Yeah, he. Joe was from Nevada. He was from the desert, and I yeah. think that cold climate and it just was it was rough on him. He was the older of of all of us, and it was just a little harder on him. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's got to be. You know, that climate change, and you're you're a little closer to that area than both of those guys. You know, one you said he was from Nevada, and then um, yeah, Zane was from Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Um. So, what would you have to say? Um. I guess what's your motivation to continue to do what you do? As far as you, you know, you said you wanted to start speaking a little bit. Um. What would be some things you would say to um, whether it be male or female? You know. Um if they had something they wanted to do, but they were a bit hesitant because they didn't think they were, were going to make it, what would be some of your suggestions for them? You know, for me in life and, and especially on that show, I've had something that's really stuck with me ever since I was a young person. I had a mentor growing up who, who really invested a lot in me. And at a turning point in my life, I was trying to make a, an important decision. I asked for his advice and he told me something that I'll never forget. Um, and I've lived by, and it's really helped me a lot. He told me that you have to do the things in life that you would regret not doing. And when I look at a situation and I'm trying to decide what to do, when I think about that, it generally solves the problem for me. I can look at it and I can know this is what I have to do. And when I was up there in the Arctic, it didn't matter what I came upon. I knew that I would regret leaving that place. I knew I'd regret not doing it in the first place. And I knew I would regret, regret it if I went home. So to me, that was no longer an option. I knew yeah. what it was I had to do. And that decision had already been made in my mind. So from that point, it was just doing what it took to accomplish it. It wasn't, am I going to do this or not? Yeah. When you take out that, that option from the equation, then it's just plug away at the steps to accomplish it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can, t that I've taken away from the whole thing. When I, when I look at a situation that comes up that might be scary or difficult or whatever, if I know that I'd regret it, if I didn't do it, then I just got to plow forward and make it happen. <laughs> whatever it takes. I completely agree. I think that, you know, so many people live their lives and it's full of regret. Like if you were to sit down with someone who may be in a nursing home now who's 80 or 90 years old and you ask them what they regret, I guarantee you they have a long list of things that they didn't do. Um, and, and the more spoiled we get in society now, it's like we are scared to do things that take us out of our comfort zone because everything is so 
at ease for us now. You know, everything is, we have access to everything. We have access to people like I'm talking to you now across the United States. We have access to food at arm's length anytime. You know, it's just crazy. And it, it takes away a lot of our um, appreciation for things. I feel like. Oh, 100%. I know that my priorities when I came back from the Arctic were a lot different than they were when I went there. Yeah. I found myself taking the time to do things with my kids that I normally would have probably said, oh, I don't have time for that because I have to do this thing over here. And suddenly that thing over there didn't really matter anymore. Yeah. You know, they mattered. And it, it's a really good reminder of what really matters. When I sat up there... There was one day I had this this thought that came to my mind because when I had went up there, it was close to around the time when the impeachment thing had been thrown into the air. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I wonder who our president is right now. Like, <laughs> I wonder if we still yeah. have the same one. Um, all that stuff doesn't matter. There's like a, this whole world that's going on and it continues to go on no matter what is happening down here in our messy stuff. And yeah. That stuff doesn't matter. You know, your family matters, your kids matter, the people you love matters, experiences matter. And a lot of that other stuff is just a waste of time. I completely agree. Um, while we're on, uh, we're streaming live right now on Facebook. So if anyone has any questions for Lindsay, uh, leave them in my comments and I'll get them to her real quick. Um, if you, Lindsay, back to you, if you um, had any opportunities coming up to do something else similar to this, would you take it? You know, I've had that question quite a bit, like, would you do this again or something similar to this again? And I don't, I don't know. I feel like I mastered that. Yeah. <laughs> and that sounds bad to no, say. I, hey, I, no, I completely agree. You have all my respect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I, I want to do, I want to do different things. I want to okay. do. Like what? Things. Um, Last year, that took over a lot of my hunting season, which okay. I live for every year. So this year, I'm really looking forward to diving into my hunting season and going out, having more adventures, making more memories. Um, and then the speaking world is a new thing for me. It's an intimidating thing for me. It would be a challenge. It seems like going up there would be more of a challenge, but honestly, going and speaking for me is more of a challenge. Yeah. So stepping into that world is something that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm looking at as, as an obstacle that I want to cross. And, um, but, but I'm also not, I'll never say never. There's, yeah. I don't know what's going to come up, but I'm somebody that's going to look at whatever's, whatever I, pro, whatever gets handed to me or presented to me and with an open mind. And, you know, I'm not afraid to step into something that I maybe haven't even thought of yet. I think that's, I mean, I like that. I, the, the speaking thing, believe it or not, um, that was something that was very hard for me um, about three or four years ago. I, I come up in an industry which was oil and gas related, and uh, that's what I did for a living for almost 10 years. And I didn't have a lot of engagement in front of crowds of people. You know, it was just working with the people on the rigs and locations and then back to the office. Um, I just had a question come in. I'm going to give it to you in just a second. Um, but basically, the, the one thing I can tell you that helped me the most, um, because I do a lot of, you know, things like this now, and I, I speak uh, to, you know, people all the time in networking groups and events, is um, you typically, if, if someone's asking you to do it, you know more than everyone else out there you're talking to. <laughs> 
and to be honest, it helps. That's what always helped me. It's not to imagine that everyone there's naked thing. That, that does not work. <laughs> um, someone's always, people have always said that, and that's not something I've ever tried, but it's the, um, always knowing that when I stand up to talk normally, I'm the only person in that room that knows about the topic I'm giving, you know, and it's not, it's not as intimidating at that point. That I, just me. A, I just had a question come in. Um, Andrew Elston, he, he asked, he said, tell us about the elk behind us, behind you. Do you hunt oh, public okay. lands there? Or? This one? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of them here. I'll give you a nice. little um, The ones on the wall are my husband's and mine. This is, we do the European mounts on the skulls. So you see the white. Yeah. Cleaned off skull. Um, my husband and I do that for friends and family and whatnot. And this is a friend's bull. Okay. <laughs> so if I think it was actually featured on a Randy Newberg episode. If you ever watch his show, Fresh Tracks or something. It was on one of those. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys hunt public land up there or do you have your own leases or how does that work? We have over the years hunted a combination. Um we we have a small little bit of land it's like 20 acres or something so it's not really good for hunting elk but there's some public land that's adjacent to it and we've hunted that and um with some friends on on some property that they had permission to hunt on but then we also do a lot of public land hunting too uh this year is going to be pretty much all public land hunting which will involve a little bit more hiking and staying back in the back country which will be a lot of fun we're looking forward to that no, I mean, that's, we, we have a lot of private leases here where we hunt. Um, the guy who just asked the question, he's actually um, a very avid hunter, and I, I believe they go on multiple elk hunting trips a year. I know at least one, but um, yeah, we don't, our public land here is, um, it gets crowded. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of terrain. It's pretty flat, and um, it's just, it's not something that's usually safe to do. <laughs> if it right. is, you've got to be in a desolate area, and everyone's coordinated well, you know. We're blessed here in public land. There's a lot of it. And if you if you hike and get into the back country, you can definitely get away from the people. If you're if you're near the roads and stuff, there's gonna be a lot of people there, especially during rifle season. And archery hunting has become so much more popular. It used to be if you went into archery hunting that you could really get away from the people, but that's not so much the case anymore. But if you hike yourself back in far enough, you can still get away from the crowds here. Well, I noticed you um you had some posts with a primitive bow. Have you taken anything with that? I just started shooting the primitive bow okay. last year. My friend um, is an avid trad bow hunter and she she's awesome and she hooked me up with this bow because she knew I would love it and she was right. <laughs> it's so much fun to shoot but I'm not confident enough with it to take it out and hunt big game and like I said my husband and I for us hunting is filling filling the freezer. We right live on that meat and it's so much harder yeah. to be successful with a traditional bow even with an even with archery in general than, than rifle hunting. especially so, with something bigger than a whitetail anything i mean right. whitetail yep. hard enough but anything bigger than that is just challenging itself and for us we can hunt both seasons so that's great we'll use archery hunting as an, a way to extend our season and get out right. there more um but generally we fill our freezer with our rifles that's just usually how it works <laughs> yeah. most most here do the same thing we have a bow season that leads into a rifle and then you know um and then you're all you get a little later season with the bow as well but then there's some that that's all they like to do is bow hunt, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I respect that. I respect the sport. I've never taken one with a bow and I've never bow hunted that much, but um 
I, I don't know. I just, I, I do respect it. It's, uh, it's an art in itself for sure, especially with a primitive bow and not with no sights, no anything, you know? Right, right. Someday when I'm not feeding so many mouths and yeah. I have more time on my hands, I'll probably go out and hunt with the dread bow just because it would be so much fun. But yeah, for now, it's just a nice way to pass the time. <laughs> for sure. Well, um, Lindsay, I appreciate having you on today. Uh, you coming on the show, and um, I always give my guests a gift. Um, and since we're not in person, I'm gonna send you something. Normally, I tell someone what I'm sending them, but I'm not gonna tell you what I'm sending you. Um, but I will tell you that um, it is something that is from here local. Um, okay. It's something that you're, you, you and your husband will be able to use. And if you like it, I want your feedback. Make a post and tag me. I want to see if you like it or not. But um, it's uh, something that's actually produced here in a small town where I was born. That um you guys will probably get some use out of. So I'm going to send you that. Um, yeah, for sure. So or any, anything to close out, you know, do you have any advice for anyone or anything else you want to, you know, talk about, or do you have any plugs? You, um, you know, your Instagram's at hunt fiber, um, your Facebook is tagged right here in the feed so they can see it. Um, and then your YouTube's hunt fiber, anything else you want to plug? Well, I would just like to thank you for having me because I, I really appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, anywhere you want to search for my stuff, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and it's all under Hunt Fiber or Lindsay Persico Hunt Fiber, so it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, and aside from that, yeah, just thanks for having me. For sure. Well, everyone, thanks for watching. I'm about to stop this live stream, and um, everyone, please subscribe to the podcast.